0: So, if we can turn today uh, to John chapter eleven, we're going we're gonna to jump around a little bit <clears throat> in the story of the death and resurrection of the Lord. I want to read a scripture, which I will probably then read often today, at least once or twice more. But after this um, this verse, if we can actually share, once I'm done reading the verse, you can go right into the video that I wanted to show uh, and. John, I feel my teacher voice coming back since school starts up on Monday, so you can lower me a little bit in the mic. What's that? It's a tough gig. All right, so John chapter 11, verse 25 it says, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoeversoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Do you believe? Me? Go to the video.
1: No other king could vanquish the war horse or silence the warrior's rage. ...while riding the lowly back of a donkey. No other king could break the dominion of darkness, the tyranny of evil... ...with a reign of grace and a kingdom of peace. No other king could give his life for the redemption of rebels... ...his wealth to welcome the outcast. Jesus is that king. The king of glory. Son of the living God. Not just another king, not just another prophet, not just another teacher. He was the one the world had been waiting for. The one to deliver us from captivity, the son of David and Abraham's chosen seed. He is the goal of the Mosaic Law, Yahweh, in the flesh. He is the one to establish God's reign and rule. Heal the sick, give sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoners, and proclaim good news to the poor. This Jesus was the creator come to earth and the beginning of a new creation. He embodied the covenant, fulfilled the commandments, and reversed the curse. This Jesus is the Christ that God spoke of to the serpent, the one prefigured to Noah in the flood, the one promised to Abraham guaranteed to Moses before he died, the one promised to David during his reign, the one revealed to Isaiah as a suffering servant, the one predicted through the prophets and prepared for through John the Baptist. He is the Father's Son, Savior of the world and substitute for our sins. More loving, more holy, and more wonderfully terrifying than we ever thought possible. He is our Jesus. And there is no other king like him. He is our God, our glory, our victorious Savior. There is no other king like him. There is no other king.
0: So Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And so many of us today would say, of course I believe this. I believe in uh, in Jesus. I believe that he died and he was resurrected, which we are celebrating today. But I believe that there's a little bit more to that question of, do you believe this? Do you, in fact, believe that he is both the resurrection and the resurrection? and also the life. That's the question. So, John, I'm not sure. There's a little buzzing and it's fine, but I don't know if it's a kick drum or any one of the channels on now. All right. We'll just deal with it. It's okay. So, um, we can go to the, uh, the first slide just to get it started here. Um, he is the resurrection and the life. And, um, Today, all across the world, people will be uh, rejoicing and celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus, right? I mean, that's why people are coming out of the church, why people are getting together as family. Uh, but just like any story, uh, too many people uh, emphasize and focus on the end of the story. If you just think about the end of a movie, if you just think about the end of any story, any book, any piece of literature, you don't fully get the full grasp of what's going on. Really, the power... The power of the resurrection, the power of the resurrection story is not just in the end of the story, which we are celebrating today. The power of the resurrection is knowing the beginning of the story. And if we only focus, even today, just on the end of the story, the resurrection, which is something that should be focused on, but if we do not understand and look at the beginning of the story, we're not going to completely understand the power and the depth of that power of the resurrection. So, take you on a little journey, those of you who have not been to uh, Sunday school or what. We go back to the garden. We see that uh, God makes all things that are on the heavens and on the earth, everything that is under the water. He sees that it's good, but then he also decides that he wants to make man. And that's a big question, why did he make man? We've had past studies on why, in fact, the Lord make man. And we just believe, well, I believe, and we believe here, is because he wanted to have fellowship. He wanted to, in fact, interact with his creation. And he wanted his creation to be able to interact and give him praise and love and honor back. Now, as we know in the story, right, the serpent comes into the garden. Comes in the garden, begins to whisper things to us. In fact, essentially what, what what Satan, the enemy, wants to do is, right, he wants to destroy the relationship between man and God. Now, when we start to understand that beginning, the power of the resurrection becomes a little bit more, maybe clear, a little bit more enticing. And now, can you imagine for a moment, maybe for some of us who struggle with understanding the Father's love. Just think a moment for the amazing magnitude of the love that the Father had for His creation, has, has for His creation. That it would motivate, through jealousy, an angel to fall and try to entice us An angel. was able to be in front of the throne of God. The jealousy that he had, the adoration that we could give God, and God and his love for us. Guys, the scripture says that we, in fact, we would be judging over angels. The magnitude that the love of the Father has upon us that would motivate an angel who sees the presence of the Lord to fall and begin to tempt us is unbelievable. I never quite thought about it that way. And so we know this story, right? Adam and Eve eat of the fruit. They begin to distance themselves from the Lord. And each generation, it begins to get more and more compounded over time, over time, over time. Sin is growing and growing and growing. And essentially what we have here is understanding the resurrection, understanding the story, is that really Satan tries to do two things. One thing is the ploy that he used against Adam and Eve, and that is you don't need God. You don't need Him. You can be your own God. Just eat of this fruit, eat of this knowledge, and you can be your own God. That's the first thing that he tries to do in going after people. I know, people are looking at me like, is this an Easter service? Yeah, this is. It's all going to come together, God willing, I think. First thing that Satan tries to do is say, you don't need God. You could become your own God. The second thing he tries to do, that doesn't work, is he goes on and he begins to try to entice you and says that, you know what, the fact of the matter is, God doesn't need you. God has left you. Where is God? Where is he enduring your trials and your tribulations and your... So if Satan doesn't get you with, ah, you don't really need God, he'll then try to come and say, oh, well, God has left you. Where is he? Where is he during your difficulty? Where is he during your pain? Where is he when loved ones uh, fall and and, and pass away? Financial hardships. So people say all the time, you know, uh, well, in fact, during the trials and tribulations of life, through the difficulties of our world, where is God? Uh, It's been said that the questions question of the ages has been, where is God? Philosophy tries to answer this. Religion tries to answer this. But that's a false question. Where is God is a question that has been brought forth by the enemy. Because through the fall in the garden, the question never has been, and I want you to get this. If you get anything else here, you get this. The question has never been, where is God? Genesis 3 chapter 15, after the sin of Adam and Eve and Adam is, is, is embarrassed by his sin, he never once has to ask God where he is. In fact, Genesis 3.15, God respond, uh, uh, responds to the sin nature of man and cries out from the garden and says, where art thou at? See, the question shall never be and should never be, where is God? That's not the question. The question is, where are you? God is crying out to us. This is the story of the Bible. God has been crying out throughout the ages with this very profound and simple question. Where are you? I'm here. I, I, I want this relationship to work. I know if you've, you've done things and you stepped away, but I'm here. And so Satan begins to play with our mind and say, well, no, the question is where is God? God's right here. He is yearning and desiring to be with you. And so this has been the story of the the Bible, and this is really the culmination of the resurrection. All throughout God's Word, throughout the ages, God has been going to man saying, I want you. I want to be with you. I want to restore what we had in the garden again. This is what he did through the law, through Moses. It was an attempt to try to bring man back into that garden experience. This is the same thing that the prophets are crying out, well, you just do what's called teshuva? Would you just repent and turn back to God? The prophets were crying out, God loves you and He wants to interact with you. Why are you going astray? Why are you continuing in the ways of Adam? He's there. And so whether you have had a relationship and have a relationship with Jesus, whether you do or you do not have that relationship, the fact of the matter is God continues every single day is... Where are you? Do you want to have relationship with me? And so essentially what happens here is God's love throughout the ages is burning so bright and is so jealous for us to come together in this unity that he declares in Isaiah 59, verse 16. And God saw that there was no man. And he wondered that there was, and wondered why there was no intercessor. Therefore, his very own arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness and sustained him. And the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression of Jacob, saith the Lord. Ah, this is so good. The Lord has been crying out for us to turn to him. And yet, we weren't doing it. He's like, all right, I'm taking control of this. I am going to be the one who restores the relationship. It's the prophecy of Isaiah and The restoration of that reconciliation is found, of course, through Jesus. Romans chapter 16, 20, it says that Jesus came and he broke the head of the serpent. The same serpent that came into the garden. Jesus is the fulfillment of crushing the head serpent, that He no longer shall tempt us. He shall no longer have that victory. John chapter 3 verse 16, many of us know it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish. See, God has made it so simple for us. He's just saying you don't have to do anything. You just need to receive. Satan's going to tell you, you got to do something because you're so bad, because you are your own God. So try to do your own self-help. Or try to work really hard and pray really hard and do all this kind of stuff to keep you busy because God is nowhere to be found. God is crying out from the beginning. Where are you? Come along. And so we look at all this through the resurrection, and uh, some of us were at our Passover Seder, um, and uh, there's a point in the, in the Passover Seder where we, we do something called di- a dienum, which is it would have been sufficient. It would have been sufficient if God just would have made a, a way for us to, to come back into his fold, it would have been sufficient. If God would have just saved us and that was that, it would have been sufficient. But there's more to the story than that. So if we open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55, right before it says, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. What we have here is the resurrection story is the story of a defeat, the defeat of both sin and sin end of death. I want to say that again. The resurrection story is a story of defeat, the defeat of sin and the defeat of death. A lot of us, you know, we think about and we focus on uh, the death and the resurrection, which is totally, completely justifiable and awesome. And a lot of us may even think like, oh, Jesus died and he died and he took on my sins. I've heard that before, et cetera, et cetera. But The reality here is that's only one part of the story. He says, I have defeated both sin and death. Sin and death. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? So many of us today, I know, because I talked to you, I know you guys, family, friends, all this stuff. We believe that Jesus defeated the powers of sin. I, I firmly believe that the vast majority of people here actually deeply believe that he defeated the pain of sin. And what does that mean when he when he defeats sin because of the atoning work of what he did? He says, I'm here, I want to restore relationship. What this essentially means here is right, he, he has he has he's gotten rid of the separation between man and God. He has restored the relationship between himself and us, and now we just need to restore relationship between us and he by receiving. And our sins are forgiven. But that's not the full story. The full story is yeah, we'll see in the next picture. Uh, in Jerusalem, uh, there's a lot of obviously like religious sites that are that are that are known. Jared, if you go to the next slide, uh, actually the next one. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. Uh, and essentially, where it's like it's like this crazy like spiritual real estate thing going on, right? Uh, right in Jerusalem downtown or in the old city, there is the the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And this is like the church that uh catholic church the orthodox church uh and all these various like fighting fringes have like one corner of the church and no one has the other corner of the church the ethiopians have the roof it's like it's it's unbelievable how it's all split up and i think people believe that that's where you know the, the uh jesus um, um was crucified and also was sitting to archaeologists are like yeah that, there's no way that's But it's been a religious tradition for X amount of years, right? Actually, since the 5th century. Um, 4th century, sorry. Uh, But what happens here is down the street, uh, there is the Protestant tomb. And they just just uncovered this, an archaeological thing. They're they're so forward with you. They're like, this is probably not Jesus' tomb, But this is a 1st century tomb. And if you want to check it out, see what it would be like, you should do that. Now, the other church is like, this is the place. This is the place. The president's like, you know what? This isn't the place. Probably not the place, but this is what it would look like. But what's so powerful about this experience, which talks about the power of the resurrection of life, is that when you walk inside of this tomb, there's no qualms about it, man. They make it so clear. It's so cool. You can go to the next slide. There's a nice little sign up on the door. They're just like doesn't matter he's not here he's risen he's sitting on the right hand throne of the father he's interceding on our behalf as a high priest amen and this is the rest of the story the rest of the story is yes he has defeated sin and death not just sin but sin leads to death he's defeated sin and he defeated death see if he would have just died on the cross he would have just defeated sin But he was resurrected, which shows that he has power over death. The question is, do you believe this? Do you believe this? So usually when we say, do we believe this, it's do you believe in Jesus? What I'm asking you today is, do you believe this? Do you believe that he is in fact not just the resurrection, but he is the life? Do you, in fact, believe that he did not just defeat sin, but he also defeated death? Now, I know that, oh, before we get all hallelujah and amen here, I know many of us believe that he defeated sin. But do you actually, do we actually know what it means that he defeated death? Well, I get to have eternal life. Amen. That is true. But he also has defeated death so that you can have the trueness of life now on earth. I have come to give you life, but life abundantly. He did not just say, I have come to give you eternal life. He, eternal life begins when you accept Jesus into your heart. And then therefore, some of the promises are really, I'm going to be so bold here. All the promises that are in heaven, I get to begin to engage in them. What do you mean? What do you mean? What I mean here is, no longer shall sin and temptation and all those things have a hold over me anymore because that's that's what I'm able to now have access to because he is the resurrection and the life and he gave me a new life now that's Diana that is it would have been sufficient we can have the worship team come on down resurrection and the life we get to live victoriously in heaven we get to live victoriously now and I just have to ask the question Is how many of us in fact do believe that there's a lot of people in the church not say this one but across the world who live a defeated mentality I'm not trying to give you like this self help kind of thing I'm just saying man today of all days rejoicing in the resurrection is not just life eternal it is life now Life eternal begins right now. Depression, gone. Because life begins now. Addiction, gone. Because life begins now. Evil thoughts, high thoughts, strongholds, gone. Because life begins now. Insufficient. Said, "Yeah, I took care of sin. You can have a relationship with God." But he says, "No, I don't want just that. I want you to have life, life abundantly, life eternal. That begins now. Do you believe that? We got to get inside of our spirits." Amen. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke emphasize the end of it all. Jesus upon the cross, both Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of them, uh, focus on that. When Jesus was on the cross, he says, "Elohe, Elohe, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They all do that in one way or the other. But John, the book of love, does not say, that those are the last words Jesus spoke John the disciple of love when he's there at, at the cross I, I don't know if he just had a, a better ear or if he just could see in the spirit and hear in the spirit give away way because of the love that he knew John chapter 19, verse 30 says, When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, the last drink, Jesus said, It is finished. Next slide, please, and the last one. It is finished. It, such a small word, two letters, small word, but encompasses everything. Jesus does not declare death and it's finished. He does not declare sickness and it's finished. He declares it all. Everything is finished at this point. I'm bearing it all. I'm taking it all on. Sin, gone. Death, gone. Your false identity of trying to strive to prove perfection and get accolades from people. It is finished hopelessness, depression, anxiety it is all finished at that moment 2,000 years ago because he chose to bear it all and the only way that we will be able to have access to this is if you believe that he is both the resurrection and the love. hallelujah 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. And all things are of God. who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. All things. Passed away. For it is finished. Surely we would say, the Hebrew word, da'enu, it's sufficient. That's not the full story. It's like the full story is not just that he died, but that rose again and he's not in the tomb. Just like the full story is, is not just that he defeated sin, but he also defeated death. And just like all of that, it is finished. It's not even the full story. It's unbelievable how good he is. It says that when he commended his spirit up into heaven, at that moment in time, there's a great earthquake. The stars, the sun goes dark, and the veil in the temple was... The veil, the veil the veil the veil is is the separation of the presence of god from man in the temple he took on sin he took on death and he tore the veil so that we now could have access to the power of the holy ghost the story can't get much better than that it can't get much better than that
1: so I leave you with this:
0: It's time, if you haven't, it's time for you to believe that Jesus is the answer to the ending of sin and your separation between man and God. Because God has been calling out from the beginning, and He's made the way so clear and so easy. You don't even have to do anything; just. Say, yes, Jesus, come into my heart. And if you've done that, the next thing that needs to be done, if you've never done this before, is firmly inside you. Say, you know what, Jesus? I need to declare my spirit to my spirit man that you are not just the defeater of sin, but you are the defeater of death. That I now get to have access to life abundantly with all of the frills and blessings that you want to bestow upon me. So the question always is at that point is, all right, Dave, how do you do that? Romans chapter 8, verse 11 says, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead resides inside of you. You want things finished in your life. I understand. Invite the Holy Ghost into your life. Say, Father, thank you that you've given me Jesus. Thank you that I have eternal life. But if there is still an emptiness that's there, I encourage you to now meditate on the reality that he died, he rose, but he also tore the veil. that's going to empower you to live a life that you look at and you say, yeah, yeah. All the junk of my life, it is finished. Have a wonderful week. Let us glory in the Lord. Let us glory in the Lord. Father, we thank you that we get to rejoice in this day. That the Passover lamb, the lamb of God, who was slain at the foundations of the earth chose this season, this time, to lay down his life as a lamb. But Father, we glory that you laid yourself down like a lamb, but you rose again like a lion. And Father, I pray that all of us would surrender our life like a lamb. For as we surrender, the power, the boldness, the strength of the line of God calm and silence. We give you all glory. We give you all praise for it is all about you. It is simply all about
1: you.
0: We can all just stand one last time. We're going to be leaving in a moment. We're going to be leaving to our parties. We're going to be leaving. Tomorrow we're going to wake up. And we're going to go to work. We're going to be faced with things. We're going to be faced with things. It's a guarantee. But right now, right now, before you go, one last time together, just be still and know that He is God and that He is the God is declared, it is finished.